Welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast, brought to you by Vertical Helicast. This episode of the Real Rescue is being sponsored by Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. Coming up next on this episode of The Real Rescue, we're joined by a guy who's been doing volunteer search and rescue for over 25 years. He's also a full-time firefighter. After we got done our conversation, we ended up messaging back and forth, and he was telling me all sorts of different stories that he forgot to tell me on the podcast. So we might need a part two. But until then, please welcome our next guest from Northern Ireland, Mr. Simon McGaw. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Today, we've got a guy from Northern Ireland. That's right, coming to us to some, with some amazing stories. All from Northern... Wait a minute, are they all from Northern Ireland? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, one, one's from Southern Ireland. Um, okay, When I was That's doing cool. a job down there. But yeah, predominantly, they're all from Northern Ireland, yeah. All right, perfect. You know what? Yeah. I'm good with all that. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Mr. Simon McGaw. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? It's fantastic. I, I love it when you guys come on just because I, it spreads the love across the world. It makes, <laughs> I just, you know, on the other side of the pond, on the other side of the lake. Yeah, absolutely. It's That's it. Yeah, it's just a small pond between us. It's not so far. That's it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. not even a little bit. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. Dude, I'm psyched. I'm psyched. How's things up there? Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit uh, typical Irish over weather today. It's a bit overcast, but it's still warm. 17 degrees, which is good for this time of year. Not bad. Weather's been, not bad. Yeah, weather's been a bit sort of disjointed recently. It doesn't know what it wants to do. So yeah. just wait right. for every eventuality and hope for the best. Do you know what I mean? Love it. Dude, yeah, I yeah, love it, cool. man. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I really am looking forward to uh, to hearing some of the stories that, that you've had up there. And it's going to be, I'm just, you know what, I'm excited. So I'll tell you what, with you, bring us, just start us out. A little bit of background about you. How did you get into search and rescue? And yeah, how did all that happen for you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go. So uh, yeah, as you said, uh, Simon McGaw, I'm uh, born and bred in Northern Ireland. I was born in Belfast. Um, I live in Bangor, which is just down down the, the coast from Belfast now, a seaside town. Um, probably now over 25 years uh, involvement with voluntary search and rescue teams. Um, as starting off, obviously, as, as a team member, uh, progressing to a team leader, and then set up, was three of us, four, four of us, sorry, set up our own team. Um, there was a catalyst to that, which we can talk about. And... Uh, now a technical rescue instructor, freelance technical rescue instructor, and full-time firefighter. 
So yeah, it's kind of diversified a wee bit from the start, you know? Uh, yeah, big time. Yeah. And you were a yeah. sailor as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose, yeah, I grew up in the seaside town. Um, always been an outdoor outdoor uh, kid, you know, always playing in the outdoors whenever I was younger and uh, started sailing when I was about six or seven, I think. Um, would sail every weekend, would have sailed on the Tuesday and Thursday after school. Um, and then that sort of progressed at the age of 13, 14, started getting into power boats um, and uh, doing power boat qualifications and stuff through the RYA. And uh, the, yeah, we sort the, of progressed from there. And, the RYA? What's the RYA? The RYA, so the Royal Yachting Association. So it's like oh, a, credit, okay. a crediting body in the UK for, you know, like uh, for sailing certifications, power boat. Uh, jet ski, all that kind of stuff. Any anything that goes oh, in the nice. water, they'll they'll do certifications for you know. Oh, excellent. Okay, nice. So you've been sailing your whole life. That means you've been on the water. No wonder you like yeah. the water. It's me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm still in it now. I don't have a boat now in a minute because I'm a swift water rescue instructor. So yeah, ditch the oh. boats, ditch the kayaks, just go in myself. You know what I mean? You don't need boats or anything anymore. We just swim. <laughs> That's awesome. Swiftwater rescue. <laughs> are you doing anything like uh, on uh, rivers and and fast moving yeah. water and stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah, it's all all stuff now. I do is on rivers. So, um, yeah, so I'm certified through Rescue Three Europe as a swiftwater rescue technician instructor. Um, I'm also a rope rescue operator and swiftwater flood boat operator. So, um, we can operate boats in in swift water we can swim in swift water and obviously we can then uh, put rope systems above uh swift water as well so yeah nice. we've got it covered, we've oh, got it that's covered. Awesome. <laughs> i love doing stuff like that i have such a blast with it when we get into the water and into the rivers and you're creating or trying to swim behind eddies and yeah trying to catch the standing wave next thing you know you're playing it you're like hey, hey this is training that's oh, it yeah, you need, time, oh, yeah, yeah 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 you have to find the hydraulics you know what i mean all these all these guys go to the beach and they're surfing on their surfboards well, we can find hydraulics in the river and we can surf on our on our bodies you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah, so that's, that's, and if that's you do it, it really it's right all, you it's all about the crack it's, it's, it's yeah. all the crack it's, it's yeah absolutely <laughs> it has oh to be my done. gosh it's right yeah, yeah. it's such yeah. a blast <laughs> as yeah, long as you don't fall you just keep surfing that's uh, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then if you go under, you get bashed about a wee bit and hope you pop out further downstream. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what it's all oh, about, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is totally. I absolutely love it, man. That's funny. All yeah, right. Yeah. So, how did you get into search and rescue? Because it had something to do with you being a sailor. It did, yeah. So, um, I must. Uh, I'm going to write it down now because I'm going to send you a picture of the boat. Okay. Um. <laughs> So when I was learning to sail, we sailed in a little boat called an Optimist, um, which was like, all you can describe it is, is would be like a bathtub with a piece of uh, scaffolding pole and like uh, a dishcloth as a sail. Do you know what I mean? You'll, you'll see when I send <laughs> I you the picture. Okay. Yeah, they're little, they're little square things. They look like they shouldn't even be on the water. Um, and uh, where I live at the minute, it's literally five minutes from here is, is, is the sea um, where I was sailing at the time um i was on a sailing course and a big squall came through um and i couldn't get it turned yeah so the thing filled with water there there was loads of boats over the lads that were out there in the rescue boats doing cover for it they they got it handed to them because there were so many boats went over in the squall um i couldn't get this thing to turn you know the wind the squall came through that hard that you were you were turning the rudder and just was making a jet of water the boat was going straight like so um 
and it filled, filled things filled with water as well and then I started to get cold um get hypothermic and I was across the far side of the bay I mean it's not so far I think it's maybe a mile or something straight across but you know whenever you're that age you're starting to flap because you don't know what to do do you know what I mean so it's like <laughs> do you jump in do you, do you just ditch this thing in the rocks or do you wait for somebody to come and get you so yeah I, I, one of the lads the, the, the lads in the rescue boat came and got me in brought me in hypothermic and threw me in the shower and says good luck do you know what I mean um so yeah that that's basically the story so I was like you know what those big those big orange boats coming to get people that looks like good crack maybe that's something I could do in later years you know um so uh yeah that that's that's how it started um and like I said then you know when I was old enough then I started getting involved with the, with the power boat and stuff and, and the rescue stuff at the yacht club um and uh, started doing the qualifications up to my advanced power boat. Um, and at the time we had, uh, in schools, we had a thing called the Duke of Edinburgh's Award, which is like, a, I'm trying to think how you describe it, but you, but you do, there's different sections to it, you know, like you have to do an expedition and you have to do uh, like a voluntary section and stuff like that. Um, okay. It's all about, you know, sort of building leadership within young people and stuff. Um, I think it still happens. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, but I was able to do my voluntary bit with the local RNLI, so the local uh, lifeboat down here. So I used to go down on a Sunday morning, and uh, the lads would have trained on a Sunday morning, so I'd have gone down and washed down the boat and helped the mechanic, um, you know, servicing the boat and that sort of stuff. So, like, you know, at the age of 15, learned how to change change a gearbox and an outboard, how to change plugs, all that kind of stuff, and maintain the boat, really. And then off the flip side of that, I was able to get out in the boat with them and, you know, learn essentially the basics of of, of the RNLI's training program, really. Um, and that and that stuff's lived with me still, you know, still. That was, you could, couldn't thank them enough for that, you know. Um, so that was a great opportunity. Um, and then uh, 1999 it was, I moved to England. Um, I'd applied to the Air Force to be a pilot and they told me to go and get a degree. So I was like, hmm. Of course they did. Jeez. You know what I mean? God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, go, go and get a degree, go and mature, go, go and be a student and you drink beer for four years, you know what I mean? And then you'll be a better person, apparently. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really know what to do. That, that hadn't been the plan. Um, so I went to university and did uh, outdoor education and development training. So just basically spent three, three and a half years in the mountains. Um, and then... Went back for the Wait, for the what, airport. What are you doing in the mountains? Like camping, we, hiking, or cool yeah, shit? Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, climbing. Yeah? So yeah, yeah. So yeah, introduction to climbing. So we, you know, we did climbing, single pitch, and all that kind of stuff, which I'd not done before. Still not too happy about it. You know, I'll abseil down anything, no problem. I'll go down anything. But see, trusting wee pieces of wire whenever you're climbing up stuff, no, forget it. It's not, it's not happening. <laughs> so that means I'm leading the route and then you're following. Got it. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah. I got yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, so yeah, all sorts of outdoor education stuff. Um, and I can think of in the outdoors. It was all based in and around outdoor centers. Uh, so, you know, kayak and canoe and team building, climbing, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, then, so we did that. Yeah, it was four years that degree. Um, went back to the Air Force and final medical review. They found that I had asthma when I was three years old, so they were like, "You can't fly." Oh. So I was like, "Oh man!" After all that, 
Um, ironically, though, the thing was they'd already they'd already awarded me a flying scholarship, so that was twenty hours towards a private pilot's license. So nice. I'd already done twenty hours. Um, so then I thought, well, yeah, let's go down the route of civilian flying with the aspirations to be a helicopter pilot and SAR helicopter pilot was the plan. Um, so then I was lucky enough to get awarded another scholarship by a, a commercial pilots charity, um, which saw me through the, the remainder of my private pilot's license. So I flew light aircraft for a while. Um, and then was looking at then the sponsorship schemes to be a direct entry airline pilot um at the time sorry no before that sorry the the sponsorship schemes had stopped because 9-11 happened uh, and, and all the airlines shut down i think i wrote to 56 airlines at the time and everybody came back and went no 9-11 just happened we're not we're, you know we've ceased all the sponsorships and all the rest of it so the only option then was a direct entry pilot which you had the front 125 thousand pounds i think it was at the time uh, to go into training the to have, I think, can't remember the figures, 200 hours on twin engine airliners or something. And then they're like, yeah, well, we might give you a job. So that that was that out the window. That wasn't happening. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Who so, has that hidden around? I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Hold on. I'll just open a suitcase here and I've got a hundred grand in it. Do you know what I mean? Right, um, right, right. I so can't yeah, tell you where I, I got it. Of, uh, I got it in case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I had to think of a different, different thing. So, um, yeah, so the military turned me down as a pilot, so chose a different pathway. Went off down that for uh, ten, just shy of ten years. There was elements of technical rescue in that, um, more training, never any calls or anything. It was all training stuff and assisting, you know, local teams and that. Um, moved back to Northern Ireland, two thousand and eight, and I suppose that's really where the search and rescue stuff started, for, you know, properly. Um, it's strange how it happened. Um, where I was working, they needed a, a first aid at work course arranged. And um, I just went through the phone book as it was at the time, you know, it was on the, the internet, you know, trying to find something. And I think I just looked first aid providers, pick one and book this guy to come and do first aid at work, three day first aid at work course for the lads in the, in the place. And uh, get chatting to this guy over, over lunch. And it turned out he was a, a unit commander for, a voluntary search and rescue team in in, nice. in Northern Ireland, um, which I'd never heard of. So it turned out that in the time that I'd been away, obviously we'd had the Good Friday Agreement, the peace process and all that sort of stuff. The military had, had moved out in Northern Ireland and they used to do, historically would have assisted the police with all the missing person stuff. Um, so when the military left, the police didn't have the manpower to be able to commit the missing person searches. So this team had been formed as a lowland search and rescue team. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, chatting to this guy and he's like, you know, the experience you've had and bits and pieces, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get involved, see what it's all about. Um, so was involved with that for three years, I think it was. Um, and then there was quite a high profile case and we... Uh, search for a, a young lad we could talk about it later on a, a young lad went into the river in the center of Belfast I'll tell you what pretty... let's go on to your first rescue first and then we'll go right into that one because I'm already like oh I'm, yeah I'm, okay I'm excited what was yeah, your very yeah, first yeah. rescue ever um very first rescue ever would have been before I went went across to to England um 
oh we wow were, uh, okay way back gotcha. yeah way back yeah yeah um i suppose it was a rescue yeah it wasn't essentially uh with a, a specific organization but um we were we'd been doing safety cover on the on the far side of um the lock from where where i was based at the time and uh on our way back and and the local coast guard had put out a pan pan on the radio for for medical assistance so we were passing it was three three young sailors and dinghies um they were off uh and a young girl had been hit by the boom yeah so yeah Wait, so by the boom of the boom. you know the boom so on a sailboat yeah yeah the boom that comes across yeah yeah so yeah yeah, these three had been, had been offshore um, training for an event and uh, she had been hit by the boom. So the Coast Guard had put out a medical uh, assistance for, for it. And we were like five minutes away. So we thought we'll, we'll spin across and, and see if we can help out, you know. Um, laterally, it turns out they had been in contact with their coach who was back at the club and he'd, he'd raised the alarm. Um, so we went over and... Uh, the young girl had been knocked out of the boat. She had quite a significant head injury. Um, her two colleagues that were with her in their boat had said that she'd been unconscious for a period of time. She'd come around by the time we got there and uh, the two of us in a five meter rib, you know, and it's before the time whenever you had any kind of uh, spinal immobilization stuff on ribs and all that kind of thing. So. You know, she was complaining of back and neck pain, nausea and all the rest. Of it. Obviously, she's a big whack in the head. She's a bleed in the head. And uh, we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get her in the boat? You know what I mean? Because we're paranoid about the uh, the spine and that sort of stuff. Being very sort of naive to that thing. We're, you know, we were like, yeah. what was I? 17 or something. And the guy that was with me was maybe 18, 19. Um, Bunch of I young think bucks. I, yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. Um, and I knew from experience that the local the local RNLI would maybe be 10, 15 minutes from where we were. Um, whereas by this point, we were five minutes from, you know, being able to get this young girl to medical assistance. So I think it was, I was trying to think back at this, where where the, the idea came from or where I'd seen it. Um, it was probably back whenever I'd done the stuff with the RNLI in the past. Um but I, I said the the lad I was with, you know, we we could deflate the sponson on the back of the boat, and that'll give us a a, a level platform because obviously the the sailor she was wearing a PFD, so she was floating. So we deflated the sponson, which floated the back of the boat. But obviously being a rib, we were like, well, hopefully it's going to stay afloat. You know what I mean? Or else we're all in the shit, aren't <laughs> <Totally>. we? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, we we took the gamble and, and we deflated the sponson. And it worked really well. We were able to float her in, into the back of the boat. And then as soon as I got back in the helm to start to drive in, obviously, as, as the boat started to go in the plane, the water drained out. And, and it worked. She was on a stable platform. Um, Good idea. we drove her in. Yeah, yeah, we drove her in. And because uh, the coach had already been on the radio to the Coast Guard, there was an ambulance there. So we were able to hand her to definitive medical care. Um, so, yeah, that was the first one, I suppose. Um, there was, you know, there was plenty before that of, you know, just capsized boats and stuff like that, and you know, run of the mill stuff that was, you know, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I get back in my boat, or I'll help you get back in your boat. You know what I mean? But that was the first one that was sort of like, oh shit, here we're gonna have to think about something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, Man, that's awesome. 
I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, what yeah, a good so idea. Deflate the sponsor, float her right in, and then take off, yeah. let the water drain out. Ah, oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know where I can't, I don't know. Somebody needs to pay credit for that idea because I didn't come up with it myself. Do you know what I mean? I must have seen well, it. Well, today I'm or, giving it to you. So I've been whatever. told about it, but it certainly wasn't my I didn't revolutionize revolutionize that idea at all, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been the first one, I guess. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, so yeah, where were we? Because we went off, off the uh, you know what? There. That's all right. It's all right. I'll bring you I'll bring you right back. Ready? So now you uh you're in Northern Ireland and you you just get into search and rescue and it it was a rescue that stood out to you. Yeah, so yeah, there was a there was a high profile case. Um a young lad had been out at a concert. Um so in the center of Belfast, there's there's the river lagging runs right through the middle, um, into the harbour. And there's a bridge goes across uh, and a young lad had been out with his friends and uh, had fallen in. I think, I think they were, I think they were, they were, they were messing about and, and he'd fallen in. Uh, it wasn't intentional. Um, and I think memory served me right. We were out for three and a half weeks every day searching for him. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, and it was such a high profile thing, you know? Three and a half weeks. Yeah. And uh, like all wow. these things, you know, he turned up, he turned up three and a half weeks later within about 150 meters of where he went in, you know. But obviously all these things get really protracted. You know, people are looking at graphs and we're looking at, you know, the flow of the river and theoretically how far somebody could be. And with that one there, obviously it's been into, the river flows into the harbor, into commercial harbor, so it's tidal there as well. Um, so off the back of that, we, there was four of us within that team that we were in, we're like, there's no dedicated water rescue response in Belfast. So let's do it ourselves. Was basically the plan. <laughs> That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Oh, it doesn't yeah. exist. So, we're about to make that change. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So awesome. yeah, we, uh, December, 2011, four of us four sort of like-minded people as you were got together and um there's a, a voluntary team on up around the north coast um who've been running for years and they had a similar model so we went to speak to them and said you know essentially can we can we copy your model in belfast and they were like yeah no problem you know any help you need we'll we'll give you a dig out so um the tasking authority in northern ireland for for that particular area is the police so we needed to get the, the back end of them so we approached the police and said this is the idea would you support us and they're like yeah we'll support you in principle if you can get it off the ground so um it was march april 2012 i think we went public with the the idea and started to recruit people in um and uh, I was with them until 2014 when I joined the Power Brigade. Um, it was a long three years. Uh, these things have a lot of politics involved, which, you know, you don't really take into account. Um, a lot of barriers to be broken down. And, yeah, it was a hard three years, but it was worth it, you know. Um, funny, ironically enough, one of, one of the... Uh, this sort of the barriers to break down at the start was the fire and rescue service, obviously who I'm now employed with, which is quite amusing. Um, because they funny. were like, we, we, you know, there is a dedicated because obviously we, we wanted to be 
the thing we we wanted to be open and transparent with everything we did because we knew it was going to be a high profile thing and there would be political issues you know because there's other teams that said they covered that remit and stuff but they weren't yeah they did but they weren't dedicated to that particular area um so we wanted to be transparent in everything we did because we knew there'd be a lot of eyes on us so every certification we did was externally accredited and you could have come and seen that and um, obviously we had to work with all the statutory authorities to get their support one being the fire service um and they had said well we have a dedicated water rescue response to the lagging which they have their specialist rescue team but yeah. our argument yeah. was yeah you've got your specialist rescue team they're based in belfast ironically again the station that i'm now based in myself um but because they're a province-wide asset they could have been on the far side of the country at, a, at an incident and then that leaves you with no cover um, wow yeah yeah and you know if you roll the clock forward what would that be now roll the clock forward 12 years i've been standing on that very river myself as an incident commander with them having been 70 miles away at another call and i've got a guy in the water and i have no rescue water rescue capability you know so that's something we can talk about for, for you know later on and down the line so um yes please it's yeah, it's it's funny how it's funny how it all sort of interlinks. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so the, yeah. So I I left in 2014. I stood down while I went into training school for the fire and rescue service because obviously yeah, that was my priority at the time. Um, and then my first child was born just after I graduated from the fire and rescue service. So I was like, I need to knock this voluntary stuff in the head for a wee bit. Um, and uh. Then the guy that had, who who had put me through all my rescue three qualifications from you know flood responder all the way up to up to that point to an, an advanced technician, he's like, you know, what are you going to do with your skill sets now? And I was like, I don't know. I'll just sort of maintain my own development and see what happens. Um, and he he would be one of certainly the most um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, um I'm trying to think. anyway he he runs a very very successful training business um in ireland uh we train a lot of the fire services and a lot of the the, the, water, the water rescue teams and he's like well would you like to come and instruct for me deliver for training for my business nice. i was like yeah yeah okay let's do that yeah so i went through like a mentorship program with him for a few years and then yeah became a technical rescue technical rescue instructor myself and um, you know, I delivered him, so I would deliver training to as an external, you know, instructor to the team that I was part of founding. Yeah, so uh -huh. I would do their training as an external instructor. Um, that's hilarious. Then, I yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and three or four other of the water rescue teams in Northern Ireland. Um, so yeah, it's funny how it kind of goes like full circle. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah, makes it so, that, so much fun too, because in all that time you've gained so much knowledge too, like all yeah, the training and, and that's what it is, you know. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. So, the, so yeah, you know, that's it, isn't it? That's that's the adage, isn't it? So, by you know, whenever you're you're doing all your training and by get doing your training and stuff, you're gaining experience, and then you know, it all builds on 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 everything. Yeah, yeah, um, and it brings brings you to where where we are now. Do you know? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's it's, great. yeah. That's yeah. I suppose that's like the shortened version of it, isn't it? Really, that's that's really good. <laughs> that's really good. I appreciate mm. that. 
All right. So now let, let me fast forward a little bit because you actually joined the fire brigade, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. At, and that was after you were an instructor or were you doing both at the same time? Um, so, you know, I, the, the two were running in parallel. Um, oh, okay. Nice. When it, yeah. Perfect. When I joined the fire brigade, I was uh, still going through the mentorship program to become an instructor. Um, okay. And I, I keep the two separate, you know, because we're, we're very fortunate in our shift pattern. We do two days, two days, two nights, and then we get four off. So it gives me the time on my on my days off to to do the other stuff. Do you know what I mean? So it's like yeah, oh that's great. Two contrasting roles. Do you know what I mean? Yep, I do. Um, and obviously, you know, obviously the the experience I'm gaining on the outside in the technical rescue world absolutely you know comes across into my day job in the fire service. Um, but the thing I need to be very careful about is staying within my remit and my statutory position in the fire service. You know, because, yeah. you know, sometimes we go to calls and there's lads, you know, lads there, they go, oh, you, you know, you're, you're a water rescue instructor, you know, and I was like, no, no, as I stand here wearing this uniform, I am level one water awareness trained within the fire and rescue service, and I cannot work outside of that remit. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, and that causes a lot of frustration for me sometimes, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's I a thing that, it's a thing that, I really hammer into students as well. You know, don't work outside your remit. If you get there and you can't do what you're supposed to do within the remit that's in front of you with the equipment or the training you have, well, let's not do it. We need to wait until the appropriate people come to back us up. Do you know what I mean? I do. Very much so. And it's one of the most frustrating things too because – like you have the knowledge, I've got the knowledge to go out and do it. And you might even have a full capable crew, but there yeah. might be like key components missing that you're just trying to, now you're trying to put yourself into a spot that you shouldn't be in. And I got to, uh, man, I got to put myself in check all the time with that. Good Lord. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's like, it, it, you see it all the time, you know, whenever, whenever I'm assessing teams and stuff like that and, and, you know, the team leader, you, you know, you're trying to reiterate it into a team leader. You cannot get drawn into what's happening. You can't become task focused. Do you know what I mean? You have to, as a team leader, you have to stand back and maintain the situational awareness of the whole incident ground and not yeah. get yourself right in there, do you know? And it's like one of the things, it's like, if you don't have your, your dry suit on, you can't get in the water. So if you're a team leader, let's let's stay back. Let's see, you know, let's have an overview of the incident ground and you're not wearing your PPE, so you're not going to find yourself in the water. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. Whereas if they're all dressed and all the rest of it, they're like, they'll end up in the water with everybody else. Yeah. And it's like, how can you take control of the situation whenever you're in the water and everybody else is on the bank? Do you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've been in the water once or twice, you know what it's like, you know what to expect, so you can give direction there. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, the, the two, the two do come hand in hand, but yeah, just like only on Friday there, we had, we had a guy jump in the river. Um, and, uh, we turned up first, um, guys in the water, throw bag off the bridge. I got him to hold on to the throw bag, but that's all I can do. I have to wait yeah. for the specialist rescue team to come and you know, they're in the same station as me. So they're only five minutes behind by the time they get dressed and uh, they're there sledding the water and they come and get them. So, you know, I got them a throwback, but 
that's all that's all I can do. <laughs> but if they weren't there, if they were something else, then we're changes the scenario. That just changes the scenario. Yeah, that's it, it does. And yeah. and you know, yeah, you have to stay within your remit, but then that comes down to the moral dilemma, doesn't it? Yep. Are you gonna sit and watch somebody drown? Or are you nope. gonna do something? I'm gonna do what something. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna do, do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not sure yet, but I'm gonna do something. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, you can stand back and, and, and what happens nowadays is everything. Everything you go to nowadays, everybody stand with a mobile phone, video. Totally. Yep. And they're going there, standing there doing nothing and that man's drowning. So yep. then member of the public decides, well, they're not going to do anything, so I'm going to go in. Well, you have to stop them because then you're going to have two casualties. So we have to do something. But what we do, hey, I can't give you the answer. There's no right or wrong answer there. <laughs> Well, you don't yeah. want to put yourself in harm's way. And this is one of the cool things about like you and I and, and all the training that we've been through. So we go through the training. We know our limitations. We've been pushed to a spot where your limits are, are to the max. So yeah. I, I assure you now that I'm not going to get into the water or into a position where I'm uncomfortable. So exactly that. And yeah, and you have to, as blunt as it may sound, it's like, their emergency, I don't know who where this quote came from, but their emergency isn't our emergency. Do you know what Amen. I mean? <laughs> so, you know, as blunt again, as blunt as it is, we, you know, we're going to go home. Yep. That's the idea. Yep. Do you know yep. what I mean? <laughs> yep. um, and it sucks, but it's a fact. And their emergency to, is not come, yeah, our it's, emergency. It's benefit versus risk, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. let's have a look. You know, if if I get in the water, is it going to be a benefit or is the risk too high? Especially if we're working outside our remit and we don't have the correct equipment or PPE. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, totally. So it's, uh, yeah, it's the same everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It totally yeah. is. That's yeah. why I love doing this. I love hearing the stories because it doesn't matter what part of the world you're from. These stories are amazing. So yeah. Okay, let me, let think... me bring you in another one real quick though. Ready? Because you had a first firefighter call which was a hoax which i thought was kind of funny yeah, and then yeah. you had a first rescue that wasn't like a fire or road traffic collision so let's start with the hoax yeah well yeah so yeah um yeah i've been on station a couple of days and and uh the first call came through and it was um a house fire it came through the house fire and you're like yes do you know what i mean everybody thinks we're mad you know it's like you're like yes this is brilliant first, first call i get in the job is going to be a good one house fire you know flames licking out the windows here we go this is what it is and you rock up to the house and and uh no sign of anything you know the occupants are like you all right lads is everything everything okay and you're like well, you, your house is supposed to be on fire and they're like no 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 um uh -huh. so yeah you know it's like you're up the high dough adrenaline through the roof and then it's like oh driving back in the truck like oh yeah <laughs> and everybody's like well are you sure that's a good thing and yeah you do you know what you know our jobs rely on other people's misfortune you know for us to yeah. for us to do our job it's somebody else's misfortune and you wouldn't wish it on anybody right but on the flip side of that you know whenever you get a google on a house fire or, or whatever you're like oh, yes this is what we joined for do you know what i mean exactly it's what i joined <laughs> for it's what i trained for yeah exactly I'm, yeah 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 so um yeah i think what i was saying about working outside your remit actually quite falls into the first rescue that i did in the fire service that wasn't um 
you know, road traffic collision or a house fire or whatever. Um, and looking back on it now, would I have done it again the same way? Mm, probably not. Oh, oh, we get the deeper. I'm learnt. so excited. Yeah, because of what you know, lessons learned and all that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think I was in the job six months or something. Uh, and it came through the special service call. It was, uh, I just came through as um, a female trapped in the mud. So I knew where it was from the local knowledge. Um, it's a tidal, tidal estuary. I tried to I tried to look it up before before this. I couldn't find it, but I think the tidal range is around five meters. Um, so the water travels quick. Wow. Uh, it was a Sunday morning. Um, it's a popular spot for walking and stuff like that. And there's a little uh, there's a little island, which you can walk to and from at low tide. Uh, and this girl, I think, had been maybe trying to walk there and got stuck in the sand. So mud flats. Um, when we got there, her mom was in the car park and she'd said, you know, my daughter's out there. She has uh, learning difficulties, blah, blah, blah. And you could see she was just below her waist in the mud. Um, and on the way up the road, the, the guy in charge of me at the time was like, can you, do you think you can get her out with the equipment we have on the truck? And I'm thinking, this, you know, looking back at it now, I'm going, hmm, that's not within our remit. But at the time, you're in the job six months and you're like, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, I yeah, no, no sweat. I got this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So we got there and, and the tide was out, thankfully. So it's like, right, OK, we've got a bit of time. And I'm thinking, what, what equipment's in this truck that I'm going to be able to do this with? You know, uh, we did carry a mud lance. So, you know, you can use compressed air or you can use water um, to break the suction. So we carried a mud lance in the machine, but I had no PPE. So I have no dry suit, I have no mud boots or anything like that. And I'm like, should I really be going out here? <laughs> but it's the same thing. Everybody's standing at the phones. It's a Sunday morning. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll get her out. No, no sweat, no sweat. Um so she was maybe 25 meters from the from the beach um or the, the hard sand anyway yeah so i'm thinking to myself how am i going to do this so uh, i thought i'd take a longboard with me which i can use as a platform Define and then i'll a take the, you're talking like a long spine board spine board okay. yeah yeah okay two, two spine board with me. yeah and i'm thinking i can use that as a platform um i'll take the mud lance with me i'll take a life jacket for her um, I put a life jacket on myself and uh, I put a floating line on my back and we put a, a standard rope onto the uh, spine board. So my thought process was I get out to her, use the spine board as a platform, hopefully get her out of the mud. Then two of us can sit on the spine board and the lads can pull us back in, use it as a sled, right? That Beautiful. was the idea. Yeah, That's great. So I'm thinking, yeah, this is brilliant crack, right? This is going to be really good really impressive and all the rest of it. You know, you're young and stupid. You're only in a job and you're like, yeah, this, this, I'm the chap here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, and then I, I started to gather all the kit and I went, I can't, I can't carry a mud lance with a, with, you know, with a, a compressed air cylinder on my own. Um, So we'll link it up to the hose. So we'll put water through it instead. But I thought what I'll do is I'll take out a shovel with a big long tail on it, a big long handle. And I'll try and use that to break the suction first. 
and then if needs be we can we can get the, the, the water lines out right um so i walked out and uh while i'm walking out i'm like i better not sink do you know what i mean he's like i can't stop if i sink i'm gonna look like a dick do you know what i mean <laughs> And I'm never going to, I'd have to leave the farm again after six months. Do you know what I mean? I'd have to, I'd have to resign and go and live under a rock for the rest of my life. I could never be seen again. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, the, you know, on the outside, you're all like, oh, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, I've got this. But on the inside, you're going, oh, shit. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I got through it without sinking, which was great. Uh, put, the, put the longboard or put the spine board behind her. And then I got onto it and, and used it as a stable platform. And thankfully, I was able to break the suction with the uh, with the, the the handle of the shovel. And I got her onto the board. I was conscious that she'd been there maybe 30, 35 minutes by the time we got there. Um, wow. So as I as I brought her out, I lay her flat on the board and leaning against me because I was conscious about trying of putting her straight up in case there was hydrostatic shock and that sort of stuff from from the compression of the mud, you know. Yeah. Um. So got her on the board and uh and yeah we worked a treat. The lads pulled us in then. We had a, a sled ride along the mud to get back in. Um. And uh, just as we were walking up the beach, the the specialist rescue team arrived. So it was a bit of like uh, you know, you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's yeah you know you go back to that so you look back at that and you go lessons learned from that um and uh certainly from being an instructor for so long now with with different you know people and different teams from from all over and different dynamics is uh a big thing is don't let your ego get get the better of it do you know what i mean because that, oh, yeah. that 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 rescue i'll openly admit was pure out and out ego like Absolutely. I was like, yeah, I got this. No problem. But if it had gone wrong, oh, man. <laughs> so would I do it again? Well, I didn't have the right PPE to do it for a start. Um, so, yeah, you'd maybe, you'd maybe second guess it and think about it a bit more. And and certainly, you know, for the past sort of five years, having, having been an incident commander, it's like, mm, would I let anybody else do it? Like, no. Well, we'll see. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's the it's the ego thing and the moral pressure. Uh, you know, leave leave your ego in the car park when you come to work. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, so you, you know, know what, what I, mean? I I do. I well, let's recap it for a little bit because if you actually had some time, like hmm. the tide wasn't coming in, she was. We had low. Yeah, we had loads of time. So you look at it, you break it down. We go. We had loads of time. There was no immediate risk to life. It was a nice sunny day. The conditions were nice. It's not like it was the middle of winter with rain going horizontal, freezing cold. You know, yeah. she'd have been yeah. okay for another ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, and we were able to make contact with her verbally, so you could have done a bit of reassurance, you know, without putting yourself in that position. Yeah, like, um, hey, we've got some more people coming. Yeah, yeah, just sit tight. You know, we know you're there. Yeah, we sit tight. Right. We're going to look after you. Blah blah blah. All that. Yeah, kind of yeah. Instead of trying and, and, to cowboy it and go yeah, exactly yeah and and the lessons i've learned from that you know i can deliver to students as well it's like um say there's a vehicle in water and the water's not rising and the the, the person's on the roof of the car you know yeah. and and the remit of of if they're say they're flood responders so they're not allowed to swim um it's like well what are you going to do you can't swim 
So what are you going to do? Well, the person's not in, you know, yeah, okay, they're in water, but the car's potentially not going to move because we're not having rising water levels, you know, whatever. It, that's It's just, you know, any scenario, if the casualty's in a comfortable position and they're not an immediate threat to life, well, let's take that two minutes to think about it logically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then when you come down to the, you know, the, the ego thing, it's like in the operational environment, if we're going to an incident, well, right, so who have we got? Right, well, Jason's here. He's the best swimmer, right? Well, guess what? You're swimming. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, maybe I'm the best at rope work, right? I'm doing the rope work and such and such is doing X, Y, and Z. But whenever yeah. we come back and we're training, if you're the weakest at the rope, well, you're doing all the rope. And if I'm the weakest swimmer, I'm doing all the swimming. Because then by that, we're upscaling the whole team. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Makes oh, sense? Yeah. 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 I think you, that's the way we work on the weakness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you need you need to leave that ego shit outside to do that. You need you know yeah. you need to admit your 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 weaknesses and work on them. And by yeah, but like you say, by bringing your own skills head up, you're bringing the skills head of the whole team up. Right. That's my thought anyway. <laughs> I know. I like I'm on board with you. We're absolutely on board with you. I like it because I mean, even you can bring it down just to a basic workout. I I try to work on things that I'm not good at to get stronger in that area. Same thing on the other side. And and I'll yeah. be honest with you and me right now. My medical skills are not where they should be. All right. It doesn't mean yeah. I'm not studying. It doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm doing. It just means that I'm not practicing the way I should be. Right. Yeah. So I need to get back in the books. Convenient enough, I got research coming up. So everything will be okay. I promise. <laughs> but it's like I I know that and I know where my role is. So what am I going to do? I'm going to call the paramedic that's got the FPC or the advanced critical care stuff and be like, bro, I need you. I need your help. I will be your assistant for whatever you need. Yeah. And and that's yeah, that's a good point. Like there's a rescue I'll probably talk about in a wee bit. I'm not not sure what way we're going to go with this, but um it was a medical event that happened to to myself and a colleague. And after that, I went away and refreshed my medical bag that I carry with me on courses, refreshed my skill sets as well, because it's like, oh shit, we nearly got caught out there, do you know? Um yeah. And and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's like anything we do, if we don't continually contain our skill sets, the skill fades massive. And that's what catches you out. You can and then complacency as well. Ah well sure that's the way we've always done it. Well complacency kills people. Yeah. 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 Um so yeah we have to continue to train on what we're doing. Yeah. Well, and yeah. we were talking about, you know, having an ego and putting the ego to the side. And when you get on scene, you call your best guys forward for that yeah. in particular incident. I'm all about yeah. it. In addition, I'm also all about when it comes to training, work on your weakness, work on the yeah. stuff that you're not good at to get good at it. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 You and I Makes are on board with that. Heck yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 That's I, the way that, that, that's what needs to happen, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. funny. Just out of curiosity, yeah. when uh, when the other guys showed up to the lady that was in the stuck in the mud and and you're covered in mud, did they say anything yeah. to you or just look at you and be like, you dumbass? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> the, the funny thing about it was that uh, I I had arranged for them to visit us that afternoon to, to for us to, for them to show us on their what their truck on their truck and what they had because they're based in Belfast and at that time I was based in a rural station maybe thirty minutes away. Um, 
so it was you know an education thing that afternoon the special rescue team were coming down we're going to be like the, you know they've got this that and the other we can do this that and the other and all the rest of it you know so yeah when they came down that afternoon it was a bit like oh shit <laughs> 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 oh, <it's> yeah. so funny. <laughs> but uh i work with those guys now day in day out and, and you know there's it's water under a bridge like <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i mean we, yeah we're, we're 10 years down the line like nearly so so it's okay it's, all it's good. fine yeah it's all good <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny yeah we're gonna divert real quick to thank our sponsors breeze eastern the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Um, you um, actually have another rescue that stood out to you, which was uh, about four years ago, give or take, and you had an incident with somebody who had an EpiPen with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this yeah, this is the one that I just said. So, yeah, after this, I went and swiftly renewed or, you know, read up on my medical stuff again, you know. Um, yeah, we were... Uh, we were running a course. We were running a swift water res rescue technician course. Um, myself, my colleague that I work with, uh, and it was down in uh, a real sort of rural area of Ireland. Now, Ar Southern Ireland itself, Republic of Ireland, is quite rural anyway. The population density is very sort of, you know, compacted. Um, but it was a gorge uh, down and the way down in the south of Ireland. Um, and uh, like we do for all our courses, you know, there's a medical questionnaire to be filled out in the first day by the students, a declaration for the insurance and all the rest of it. And, and, and you know, as, as you know, this, those the way those things go. Um, so real quick, you're uh, teaching the course for this? Teaching the course, yeah. All right, yeah, so yeah. you're the instructor. You have a bunch yeah. of students coming with you and you're going down to the training area to do the training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the team, okay, the wanted team to make sure I was tracking. Up. Yeah, the team's based down that direction. So we, we travel down there to train them. And they were really okay. good. There's a really good venue about an hour away from where from where they were based. Um, and uh, yeah, so there was there was a uh, there was a girl in the course that carried uh, two epipens. So I've never seen that before. You know, two. I was like, oh, allergies. You know, must be must be bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but again, it's one of those things. You're like, yeah, we, you know, we've got that. We'll put that with a med kit, right? All the students know where it is. Obviously, her colleagues around her, they're aware of. Of, of you know what she needs it for and all the rest of it and, and they're all over it so you kind of put it to the back of your mind um and uh we uh we, we had a break for lunch um we came back down and uh just as my colleague and i were discussing what way the afternoon was gonna um pan out what you know what we were going to do we had already tasked some of the team to start crossing the river and take kept across and what have you, and uh, and and this and this girl, she she turns around and she goes, oh, you know, uh, I'm not feeling the. And before she could finish the sentence, she's on the deck, unconscious. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and the, you know, the two of us are like, oh, you know, um. So uh, the guy I was working with is was thirty years in fire EMS, so so he switched paramedic head on straight away. Like thankfully, you know, he's here as a paramedic. Um, he started doing his bits and pieces. Uh, there was a couple of team members kicking about, they're all like, Oh my god. So we needed to distract them, sent them to get the the oxygen and the med bag and the epipens, get them over. Um, and you know, she she's uh she's out cold, 
unresponsive. And then every so often, you know, the big, like, <gasps> big gasp. Yeah. And then out again, and I, I were the two of us are like, you know, and then that means something. You have to, I don't you know, know what that means right now, but it means something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is only going to go one way, you know. Um, and uh, so it's like, right, okay. And, and of course, all you know, her colleagues obviously are her friends as well, they're all around, they're all like, you're all piling on top and trying to do the, you know, oh, you know, wake up, wake up, and she's gonna die, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so it's like, right, well, we need to, we need to sort this out. So he carried on doing this paramedic stuff. Um, I got there's a couple of lads in there that we trained as technicians previously, so we had a bit of experience. So it's like, right, you two manage the rest of your team, get get the guys that are on the far side of the river, get them back over here. Let's get all our equipment together, and then we'll we'll, we'll work out a plan because we were twenty minutes from where the vehicles were parked in a gorge. So it was like a little sort of, it wasn't even a path. There was no path that we'd followed to get there. It was just cutting through the trees. We'd been down earlier on and with a chainsaw and removed a couple of bits and pieces and stuff. Um, so it's like, right, we need to think of an extrication plan. Well, we need to manage her first of all, then we need to think of an extrication plan. And then we need to think of where's the nearest hospital, how are we going to get there and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and we needed to give all her colleagues distractions, give them jobs so that, you know, they're not running about in a flap and they're not in our faces while we're trying to do what we need to be doing. Yeah. So they got all the gear back. Um, yeah, they, they administered an EpiPen. My colleague administered the EpiPen, made no difference. And we're like, shit, you know what I mean? Should we give her another one? And we're like, we're, we're, we're on the, having a discussion about, you know, can you give too much adrenaline? Can you not? I don't know. You know, she was still unresponsive. So we whacked the other one in, hoped for the best. <laughs> um didn't you know she was still doing she was still unconscious coming around every so often taking the big gasps and then going back out again and we're like you know this is this is really serious here um so two of the two two of her team members were like right take a mobile phone go and find cell you know phone signal from somewhere because where we were there was no phone signal um dispatch them off get a hold of, of an ambulance tell them it's a cardiac event which is what we surmised at the time. Uh, and let's get let's get people rolling to us and then we'll try and figure out what we're going to do. Um, so it was uh, managing her, getting her into the litter, packaged into the litter. We had sent some team members ahead to carve a path to make it easier, put in a couple of rope systems for low angle rescue so we could manage the stretcher up on stable ground. To, you know, to get us up, it gives them all a job to do as well, and it made it easier for us. Um, and we extricated up out of the gorge to where the vehicles were. Um, but we were an hour away from the nearest hospital, so uh, the lads appeared back, they'd been on and got hold of uh, the ambulance service, and they were tasking a helicopter because of the cardiac event. So I'll send you, I must, I'll, send, I'll write a note about that too. I'll send you a photograph of, of that, um, because I took a picture after the event. Uh, so where I'm thinking where we are Waterford Waterford um, S92 is you know half an hour away so I'm thinking right it's going to be that's who's going to be coming and I'm looking at, at the area where we are and at, there's a it's like a, where we parked was like a little um, 
sort of holiday village thing, maybe like five or six holiday homes with and a swimming pool randomly in the south of Ireland, a swimming pool. But anyway, the weather's not really suitable <laughs> for that. <laughs> and uh, the field that led off that was was a, a quite a steep angle. Um, and it was quite it was muddy because it was January, and then the river was at the bottom with with a load of pine trees. So I'm like thinking that's not big enough for an S92. We're going to have to think of something else. Um, so we looked around, and there was a field across the road. Um, and that was, you know, that's what we thought. It's going to be the last from Waterford are going to be coming. Uh, and then um, it was a, a 109, an AW109 appeared. And we're okay. like, what's this about? You know what I mean? It's not the Air Corps. So the Air Corps in the, in the South would do some um, aeromedical stuff. But this wasn't a green helicopter. Do you know what I mean? It was like white and blue. From, yeah, it was white this and blue. Is much smaller than what I expected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we're like, all oh, right, okay, so this changes things. And, uh, you know, we're thinking, right, what, what are we going to do? Um, and uh, the, the guy just sticks this this helicopter, sticks a 109 between the trees in the swimming pool in the squishy field, do you know? Um, oh, my gosh. We're like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So it turned out, laterally, it turned out it was a new charity air ambulance that had set up in that part of the country. It'd only been going for a couple of months. So nobody really knew, well, none of us knew about it. So we were like, oh, this is great. Do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, yeah, so they turned up and the paramedics jumped off and the and the and the, and the doctor and uh, did all the all the all the stuff they do and off she went. Um so it turned out laterally, it turned out then it came back the, the Saturday evening that she had pleurisy, which is what it oh, caused it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. nothing that anybody would have expected. Oh yeah, um, and then obviously, when we were sort of monitoring her 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 obs as best we could with without any equipment, you know, it was the the adrenaline then that was giving her the funny pulse. Yeah, so that's why we had some cardiac event. But the, the you know the doc at the time when he came, he says, "No, lads, did the right thing. You know, we'd we'd saturated her with oxygen as well, and you know, but he's like, there's you know, you did the right thing. There's nothing else you could have done for her. And I think that you know what." The takeaway from that for me was, and it's the same in work, uh, in, in the fire service, we can only do what, what we have. Do you know what I mean? If it's for us, because yeah. we're not fire EMS in Northern Ireland, we, we don't do EMS in the fire service. If, if, if the ambulance okay. service do that. So, you know, for me in work, it's, it's I can stop a catastrophic hemorrhage and I can try and maintain their airway and, and keep them comfortable. That's all we can do. And and that's what you have to remember. You know, people are thinking you can do brain surgery at the side of the road, but we can't. You know, <laughs> true statement. You cannot do brain surgery on the side no, of the road. You, you, you can't. Do you know what I mean? We have to wait for professionals to do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, certainly we're so lucky up here. We have a a charity air ambulance in Northern Ireland, and and those guys do come out and they they have done some. I've seen them do some stuff on the side of the road that you wouldn't even think they could do in an operating theater. It's unbelievable what they can do. Like unbelievable. Um. But yeah, that, that rescue, so yeah, it was the big sort of takeaway from that, I think, for for myself and my colleague was when we sat down with, with the team and we got back that night before we knew what the prognosis was, you know, they're obviously in bits because their friends were taken away in a helicopter. They all thought she was going to die. Um, and they were all like, the two of you were so calm. How, how do you do that? How do you manage that? And, you know, we did it as well without realizing you, you go from, having your instructor hat on to immediately having your rescuer hat on. Right. You know, yeah. you draw on your experience. So you you go from, 
you know, one essentially one day job to the next day job without even thinking that transition. Um, and it's you know yourself. It's all about remaining calm and, and doing what you need to do, and you know that appeases everybody else around you. Whereas really, we look calm on the outside, but on the inside, we're we're all like a thousand mile an hour because we're like, shit, what are we gonna do? <laughs> if she dies, what are we gonna do? do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So that was the, yeah, that was the big takeaway for me that you know you don't really think about it. It's just you know it's second nature to you. As, like you say, as as you as you go through your career and you build your experience, you know you, you don't think about you just go in, you just do it, you just do the stuff, don't you? Yeah. You go into all that the training, zone. all the training yeah. just kicks right back in. Yeah. Yeah, and you go into that wee zone and, and away you go. <laughs> yeah, it looks good on the outside, but on the inside, yeah, right. Go, right? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious! <laughs> because yeah, we yeah. talked about it afterwards, and we're both like, "Shit, we're gonna have to," you know. We need to maybe update the med bags and go into a wee bit of remote, remote area medical stuff again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so off the back of that, I I, I renewed one of my. Uh, it was, it was coming to expiry anyway, but put a lot more emphasis on renewing my medical qualification at the time. And since then as well, I uh, I went to the French Alps. I went out to Chamonix in the Alps last year and did a, a mountain medicine course. Um, oh, very cool! Wow. Yeah, just for my own development. Yeah, yeah. Um, how was that wait a minute, uh, let me uh, hold on let me ask that in a minute let me keep going with uh with what we've got yeah so you need to remind me on that one because that one's actually quite funny the way it looked at, at it for me um yeah so yeah that was so that was the takeaway from from us from that you know is is yeah you know we need you need to keep your skills sharp in every area where you do you know because to me i'll openly admit you know you do your medical stuff and then you don't really unless you're actually practicing on a daily basis you know you sort of become complacent and think i'll be okay and then when it happens you're like oh i need to switch on here (laughs) (laughs) you know right now what was that what what am i supposed to do yeah oh my gosh what uh what did you guys end up doing for to like re-up and practice see you guys redid the med bag you said you got a little more training and just re-upped your skills and whatnot what did you end up did you add anything to the bag or did you end up doing more for me, to be prepared um, for me uh yeah i always carry oxygen now on my courses so i would nice. never have had oxygen with me in the past um but uh yeah so i went away and and the, the course that i had already had anyway covered medical gases so it was just a case of me going to the supplier and uh and getting um an oxygen cylinder so yeah i carry o2 with me all the time now in courses so uh, yeah i have defib and o2 and airways and all the bits and pieces but you know cool. and, and then you know yourself in that in that rural environment there's only so much you can do like but right. you have to be able you can do you can only do your best yeah yeah, yeah. but at least now, if you we said have a, well you had a defib so you, uh, you're talking like an aed yeah 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 beautiful yeah, yeah. oh that's yeah, great yeah. yeah 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 so yeah i carry stuff for catastrophic hemorrhage airways aed oxygen um and then you know splints and stuff for minor things yeah um, yeah. Wow. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. You know, I love how you updated though. Like you had an incident, and then you made the the changes to update whatever you've got to update. And yeah, because if it's happened once, it's going to potentially it's going to happen again. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And that yeah. and that's it, isn't it? Sometimes you know we like to think that we're proactive all the time in what we do, but then sometimes something like that happens, and you're like reactive. You're like shit. You know, I need to 
you know, yeah. I need to I need to be able to manage this situation better the next time. Right. Not not that it was mismanaged, but you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because yeah, you yeah. it's not something that happens all the time. You think it's like normal routine stuff and yeah. you just yeah, you don't don't get quite into it. And then all of a sudden it's like bam in your face and you're like oh God. yeah 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 exactly yeah. that's right yeah, yeah. that's cool oh yeah, yeah all right yeah, so now yeah. i i gotta ask the alpine you went to the alpines to do some medical training and like why yeah so yeah training? i went in the course yeah um a mountain medicine course it was designed for for people that want to be expedition medics um so I came across it randomly. Um, well, not randomly. They they ran a course. The company that I was with ran a course in the summer in the French Alps. Um, but they weren't running that course last year. But he said we've we've got one in the winter. It's in three weeks' time. Would you know there's two spaces on that? And I was like, hmm, yeah, okay, why not? You know, I'll give it a go for, for the crack. Yeah, um, and uh, oh, brilliant you know just to be you know just to be in that that part of the world now i've ridden mountain bikes out there a lot i would go i would go to the french alps on the mountain bike quite a lot um but to be out there in, in a different capacity was great so um they were all uh most of them were junior doctors uh some general practitioners uh there was an ethicist and there was two two or three paramedics um wow. So out of a course of, I think there was 30 people, there was only four of us that were were, were pre-hospital. Um, wow. So it was very interesting for me. A lot of the medical stuff was a bit like, you know, I'm like nudging the person beside me. What's that? Do you know what I mean? They're talking about different <laughs> drugs and bits and pieces. Um, yeah. But the, the scenario-based stuff for me was very, very interesting because, you know, uh, the first scenario that that we were put in um i think the assumption was that everybody was a junior doctor or you know or, or you know worked in a clinical environment um so the three people the four people that were with me uh there was an, an anesthetist and then the rest were junior doctors um and so we're in we're in the french alps in march in the snow and the scenario was um a broken right femur uh and it's essentially you had a splint, a foil blanket, and a uh, you know the plastic survival bags, yeah, and a couple of triangular bandages. And it was like, right, folks, this is what you've got. You need to manage your casualty and get them off the mountain. Um, so I I kind of stood back and didn't really say much. And 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 the guy who was the anaesthetist, he started roaring and shouting orders and all the rest of it. We needed this, we needed that, but it was as if he was in theatre. And he was concentrating on airways and this, that, and the other. And I'm kind of standing back going, what? Do you know? So I, I, I said to him, I says, are you taking control? And he's like, no. And I'm like, right, well, somebody needs to take control. Um, and they were all kind of like, and I says, right, well, 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 I'll do it then. So it's like, <laughs> right, you manage the airway. You three, get a splint on, 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 the, on the guy's leg. Make him comfortable. And then we'll think of an extrication plan. And they were all like, oh, we can't move him. We can't do this. We can't do that. And blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, what's going to kill him? The broken leg's not going to kill him. We've got his airway managed. So he's not going to, you know, his airway's managed. But the cold's going to kill him. So let's get him off the bloody mountain. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it was, again, it was through, you know, stuff that I've done in the past. 
we, we you know we were able to work together as a team get everybody a job and, and we got the guy we got him in, into the plastic survival bag and, and we, we we slid him down the mountain essentially it was for this the duration of the scenario you know it wasn't from one end to the other it was like you know 10 meters and then the instructor was like right no problem you know happy days you, you got him out but the, the the debrief was very interesting in that um nobody so we weren't known to each other so nobody had introduced themselves i'm at fault as well nobody had had at the start of the scenario had been like oh you know i'm simon i'm a firefighter you know you're such and such you're a, you're a gp or whatever there'd been none of that you know when the scenario started everybody was just kind of throwing their stuff about so and and the guy who was the anesthetist he was like you know oh I, well, I didn't know we had any any firefighters here and it's like well that's where we failed as a group at the start you know we didn't communicate um yeah because then you're gonna you, again you're gonna utilize your skill sets uh in, in that environment so that was the, the takeaway for me and, and then the big thing was you know in any scenario we did because all those guys don't work in a pre-hospital environment they're very, very sort of task focused on all the real medical stuff. Whereas, you know, we're in the we're in the nitty gritty, down in the shitty stuff. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, you know, this is what we do. We're we're bringing them out of the, you know, in real rough and ready ways, and we're handing them to you in a nice clinical environment, and that's all you see. So yeah, I think you know it was good for them too because they're like, oh, you know, they, I don't think they considered that what we as first responders do and you know a real bad road traffic collision for example you know how how you know the shapes that people are actually in whenever we're trying to cut them out and and you know and get them packaged you know they didn't appreciate that that side of the thing because they don't see it it's not it's not their fault right. but um so yeah that was the big takeaway from me yeah. uh was that but yeah i know it was it was a brilliant course like it was good oh that's <laughs> super cool I love yeah. what you said right there. Like you're right. They, they don't see what we see. And you know what? I'm at fault for it as well, where I assume that people don't either a know what they're doing, what they're talking about, mm. because I don't have all the information that they have. And yeah. when you, when you start showing up to an area and you're like, Holy cow. And you're the first one on scene or you're the first one there, you're doing everything you can to, to save the victim, the patient, get them out and then you bring them in and all of a sudden you hand somebody to to a hospital or whatnot and they're filthy dirty they've got <laughs> and you're like and they look at you like what the heck did you do to this guy and you're like you have no idea no what idea. i just gone through yeah, so yeah you just shut your mouth yeah yeah <laughs> but, yeah, but, and, but we don't do no that like, right you come in and be like listen this is he was in a yeah. very precarious position and this is what i had to do to get him out boom done i actually yeah. just talked to a guy not too long ago that um actually he'll it's coming but it's mm. he was up for over 24 hours with a with a patient was left on scene with them and then and i'm like oh my gosh so him bringing the victim or the patient to the hospital after being awake and treating and caring for him for 24 hours there's an element to that so the yeah. people in the shift in the hospital man they might have just come on they might have be middle yeah. of their shift they haven't been there for over 24 hours so, yeah yeah but yeah, anyway. we, you know, we 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 are sort of more getting that now too here, just because you know the ambulance service is so stretched and and various bits yeah. and pieces. Um, you know, just just on uh, what day was it? on Friday there? I got got turned out to a, a, a road traffic collision, and we got there. The, the girl had been in in the car in the ditch for an hour and a half before we got there. Oh my god! Um, and then it was another hour and a half 
before an ambulance was able to get to her. So essentially, you know, she'd been on her own for an hour and a half and then I'd sat with her for an hour and a half and then she's getting definitive medical care. Um, you know, there's, we're getting sent now increasingly more to assist the ambulance service, you know, maybe elderly people have fallen. Uh, like a couple of a couple of sets ago, I got one, um, an elderly lady had fallen behind the door of her apartment. Um, she'd been on the floor for three and a half hours when we got there. The carer had come and couldn't get, couldn't get in. Um, so we made entry through a window. And then, you know, you're sitting, and because she's not essentially, you know, obviously they're categorizing their calls because they're that stretched. So, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the cardiac arrest, the big traumas and all sort of stuff are, are coming first in the priority, which is fine. Um, but then, you know, we're sitting with her. I was sat with her for the crew and I were sat with her for another two hours, I think before, before an ambulance came, Yeah. you know, and I tried my best to, to get, to get her up, up the priority, you know, because she'd complained of pelvic pain and she was in blood thinners. And I'm like, well, there's potential for, you know, she was 98 years old. So oh, I'm wow. like, you know, she's fallen. There's potential here for a pelvic injury. She's on blood thinners, big bleed, you know? Yeah. But you can only do what you can do, but yeah, that's the thing, you know, right. The, the, you're handing them the end of the final medical care and they're maybe going, what, you know, what the hell have you done to that person? You're like, well, I've just been, you know, she's been on the floor for four hours or whatever. We've been sat with her for two hours, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah, they, they don't see the full picture. Right. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. This is a great <laughs> way. I, I'm going to transition into something right here because uh, you actually posted something on LinkedIn not too long ago about uh, first responders and trauma the trauma journey, the first responder trauma journey. Yeah, I think yeah, it was uh, it was a close friend of mine who's a um, who's a, a nurse, an emergency nurse in, in the local ED, which is it's one of the busiest in the country, and it was something that we discussed. Um, and as first responders, we don't see we don't fulfill our trauma journey, right? So, and what I mean is. For me in the fire service, certainly, um, I don't know if it's, it's probably maybe the same in, in, in the helicopter star world. You know, we, we go on the scene where we're doing the bits and pieces, we're doing the extrication, we're doing the thing, we're doing the initial treatment. And then for us, they go off the hospital and we never hear anything else. You know, I, I would say 98% of the jobs that I've done, I've never heard of the outcome. Um, the only time you hear of the outcome is if it's been a fatality and you read it in the news. That that for me that's that's the big thing, um, and I think I think that can affect me mental health in first responders because you're not getting th that fulfilment. Um, do you know I went to uh, a fatal light aircraft crash. Um, well, the, the the guy was he was taking his last breath in front of me as as, as we cut him out of the aircraft, um, <clears throat> and only for me being stationed. Uh, in a fire station at the time that has the ambulance station right next to it. Um, you know, we found out subsequently that he died later that afternoon um, of huge internal injuries. And then obviously it was published on the news the next day. Um, but the vast majority of the time, we never know. You know, those people that have had huge traumatic injuries in, in RTCs that, you know, you're, you've cut them out, you're sitting with them, you're doing the treatment, you're trying to make them comfortable and then off they go. And you never, you never hear it. And I, th I think that does have a bearing on on sort of the the post-trauma thing for first responders. Um, yeah. What the answer is, I don't know, you know, because obviously 
there's the confidential thing and all the rest of it, you know, and 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 the ability, you know, to, to get the stuff. But the other thing is as well, you know, you know, we can we can go to one traumatic event and then be sent straight away to another one, and then yep. straight away to another one, and you, there's no downtime in between. It's the same in an ED, you know, they're getting people passing away all the time, but they're just having to move from one to the next to the next. So there's no break in it. Um, whereas in some elements of, of you know, the the, the first responder and, and medical world, you know, if they have a fatality, they're getting the downtime to process and have that discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, I know I know some fire services manage it differently depending on the category. Um, you know, if it's a hugely traumatic event, say, you know, maybe the, the, the death of a child or something, they're they're taken off the run for a period of time to sit and discuss it, oh, whereas wow. we aren't. Um and I like I remember it would have been twenty and twenty sixteen begin no twenty seventeen it was I had three fatalities in one set. So we do two days two oh, nights wow. so three in one set and you know not once was it did anybody come near us with any form of schism or or sit down you know um and uh I, okay that was slightly different because they were all fatals on you know on scene um but still you know we have to have those discussions and and schism for us is now becoming more prevalent um but then you Very can nice. go the, I, I think you can go the other way though that if you're getting a large number of fatalities and you're having an intervention after every single one, it kind of becomes like, oh, here we're gonna we're gonna have that same chat again, you know. So it's a <laughs> it's a it's a fine line, isn't it? It very um, much so is. Yeah, you don't want to force it yeah. down people's throats. Yeah, but at the same time, be there, be there for everybody when they have that That's that rough exactly, call. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've had we've unfortunately had two two firefighters. In the, in the past 12 months take their own lives do you know oh that's terrible i'm sorry to hear that you know and there's only what we're you know there's only in total maybe what less than two thousand of us you know in in northern ireland so you know that it's it's becoming more of a, more of a thing isn't it but it's not just it's in any sort of you know first response world and that sort of thing um but yeah i think it's a big thing um you know that not seeing it out to the end the trauma journey but it's just the nature of the way certainly our job is you you don't get that information nope. so you have to look at alternative ways to manage it so sometimes i've been able to get like sometimes i'll do a follow-up and the majority of the time i'm 100 percent with you like it just doesn't happen either yeah. you don't take the time or you can't get the information yeah you can't yeah. you can't that's the thing you know you yeah. you can get somebody to ring up and they go you next to ken no all right well you know you're not can't getting. talk to you Right. Yeah. Yeah. On occasion, I've I've called back to hospitals where it was an interesting, like rescue or medevac or whatever it was, and hey, I was the rescue crew there. I'm just looking for patient information as far as yeah, yeah, are they yeah. are they okay? And, yeah. and sometimes they're the if the hospital knows you, then a lot of times yeah. they'll be like, yeah, no yeah, problem. Yeah. But yeah, like in the aviation world where I come from, we. You could be in, especially where I was working down in the, like the Gulf of Mexico area. Yeah, you could be you could be a million miles from where you're. Oh yeah. Supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. you fly out of Texas and you're landing in Alabama, mm. and I and that's they're like, who are you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> yeah, All yeah, right. yeah. But so I I do I totally understand I get it I get it. So yeah. To hear yeah. back from the victim, from the patient is, uh, I it just warms me. 
warms my heart. Yeah, yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does yep. make a big difference for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, let me talk to one more. I'm going to segue into one more thing because you actually had a very interesting uh, rescue or sort of, I guess it's more of a, a fire. You had a big oh. fire. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, uh, let me bring this up right here because it was actually in the, like in the news, uh, the BBC News, Northern Ireland. This was published on 28 August of 2018. Belfast, uh, Primark fire, grave concern. Bank buildings could collapse. And there are pictures of just this whole building engulfed in flames. And you were one of the guys that was first on scene. Is that right? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were the first truck on scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the heck happened? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we can talk about it now because it's uh, it, it, it's been in the news recently with the court case and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we can sort of talk about it a bit more. Um, sort of. OK, don't tell Yeah, I don't want to don't get yourself in trouble. Come on, Simon. No, no, no. I I, I, I can discuss <laughs> about what, you know, what was, was certainly was published in the news anyway. But um, yeah, we got uh, yeah, we got the call came through as smoke on the roof was what it was um and we're like okay smoke on the roof and we're like pre-mark well that that's you know a prominent building in the center of the city, right in the city center um my station is in the city center that's that's our station area um so we knew we'd probably be first there anyway um and as as we were it's like what is it four minutes journey or something like that uh as we we're going down the road then it was updated to a confirmed fire on the roof um, and we turned into the, the end of the street where it was. It's, it's at the bottom end of the street, and it was more than a fire in the roof. Like <laughs> the thing was going proper. <laughs> um, and uh, so we pulled up the front and we, we jumped out, and the security guard at the doors, like, is, is there a fire, lads? And we're like, yeah, the whole roof's on fire. Do you not know? And he's like, no, I don't know anything about it. So nobody inside knew anything about it. Now, this is a uh, memory serves me right six five six floor clothing shop i think it was six floors maybe uh um, you know what so the fire service said the blaze started on the fifth floor of the roof or the roof so yeah, yeah five or six floors in the building yeah uh when we got there so obviously we went in um nobody was aware there was a fire so to be fair to the security guard he he hit the brake last point for the automatic fire alarm um which obviously signed the alarm and started the evacuation but at the time they had the building had had was being refurbished. They'd been building a new bit onto the back. Um, so we said, right, we need to get access to the roof. Um, but you couldn't get access to the roof from within the store. So we had to go down the side of the building and up the scaffolding. So there was you know scaffold up the outside and then in through a window and then up onto the roof. So we had to run hose you know, down the side of the, the store and up six floors to get onto the roof. Um, and yeah, so long story short, myself. No, my wait, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Don't, don't <laughs> do, don't make a long, oh, okay. long, dude. I like the details, man. Yeah. Come so, on. yeah. So, so we're, so we're lugging hose up, you know, we're, we're all lugging hoses up to the sixth floor and then went into like a makeshift sort of workshop plant room that was on the roof and there was louver doors and, 
when myself and my BA partner opened the Louvre doors to go out, you could just see that the end of the thing was just going. It was going like the clappers, and it was like, "Whoa, this is you know, this is serious." Um, and yeah, you know, we had a we had a seventy mil diameter hose up there, and you may as well have had a water pistol. Um, yeah, it was way far gone from you know what it had been burning for a long time. That that was the thing. Uh, so subsequently, it turned out in the inquiry that um, there'd been contractors on the roof, and I think that well, they, they had they had been doing uh, felting, you know, bitumen on the roof, the, the what, yeah. Okay. And if, from memory, serve me right, it, it caught fire to the to the plywood behind, and I think they thought they had the fire out. I'm not 100 percent sure, but they went in their tea break, but the, and the thing was still on fire. Yeah. Um, and it was actually a passerby in the street had seen the smoke and he had he had phoned it in. Um, but so the 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 dry risers in the building, you know, for firefighting, so we can plug in on the ground and we can go, yeah, they weren't functioning because of the refurbishment work. So the only way we could get the water was was up up the scaffold, which we went and that wasn't gonna do it. And and we had our our aerial appliances had arrived with, you know, they they can create a water tower as well, but um, yeah, it was yeah, because it was such an old building as well. I mean, that building had survived the blitz, and you know, it survived the blitz in the Second World War. It survived the troubles, um, and it's like you know, we we have to try and save this here. We can't let this burn to the ground. Um, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was that's the biggest fire I've been to. It's, it's I think it's been it's been the biggest. I think they said it's been the biggest peacetime fire in the city center. Um, wow. But there, there was all sorts of stuff to overcome. You know, we couldn't get enough water pressure from the hydrants, and we couldn't, uh, you, you know, it was just, yeah. And then because it's all clothing and it's such an old building with timber floors and stuff, yeah. the fire loading in there was just, it was massive. Like, um, so the building didn't fall down. The positive is the building didn't fall down. They saved it. Nice. They saved the facade. It's actually open again now. Um. So they kept they, they kept this facade of the building the outside because it's such a historical building and, and, and they rebuilt it behind it and it actually opened again just before Christmas. Um oh, nice. thought we would have got invited, you know, to cut the ribbon of the opening, but they didn't invite us. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I was very disappointed. <laughs> oh, what the heck, guys? We saved you money yeah. and everything. But yeah, I mean that was yeah, there was uh there was we had four to four or five days. 24 7 there was firefighters there just stomping and dying and that sort of thing so wow yeah that was that was an interesting interesting job though <laughs> yeah yeah that was yeah Sorry. some experience yeah and again you know it's one of those things it's like obviously it's a huge misfortune and, and it's a huge financial loss to a lot of people and that sort of stuff but yeah. when you're there doing a the job you're like yeah oh, look at this look at this look at this <laughs> uh, absolutely yeah. Yeah, I get. And you know what you said it. You said it a little earlier ago. Like we don't wish mis misfortune on anyone, but no, not at all. If it's no, gonna no, happen, call me. I'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there to sort it out. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, yeah. Simon, so, this has been yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Uh, just telling yeah, no these problem. epic stories. Yeah, I good. absolutely love it. What you guys do in Ireland and and all over. Knowing you're doing even the the fast water or swift water rappel and all your ropes rescue stuff man that's awesome plus the fire yeah. brigade amazing dude i love yeah, it yeah. i love it yeah oh it's but, good Not that, if we didn't enjoy it we wouldn't do it you know what i mean true statement
that's yep. what it's all about. Yeah, yep. it's about having the crack. <laughs> I know. I might have to get yeah. a real job someday. I know. Well, that's it. Work. Yeah, you could. No, yeah, you could work for a living. Isn't that what they say? Do you know what I mean? It's the best job in the yeah. world. And then you could maybe go and get a job where you have to work for a living. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all right. So listen, I got one more question before I let you go. And I'd love to ask advice from you. So if yeah, you yeah. had any advice that you'd want to pass on to everybody else, either doing the job, coming up, or whatever, man, what do you got? Um, well, yeah, it's a, well, obviously I'm biased, but yeah, foreign rescue service firefighters, best job in the world. <laughs> I like that. No, no questions asked. Absolutely. Um, you know, firefighters will grumble and then moan. You know, they don't like things the way they are, but they don't like change either. Do you know what I mean? But it's still the best job in the world. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I think, yeah, you know, um, just be humble in what you're doing. You know certainly in this world you know there's everybody's in that sort of an alpha alpha character potentially sometimes you have to be but you know like we like we discussed earlier on you know you need to, you need to work you need to accept your weaknesses you know leave your ego with the door and uh and that way everybody gets along then don't they and, and we can uh make make you know make ourselves more grounded and, and better as as a team or or whatever we are you know or as individuals i think that that that's probably the what I would have to say. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I like it. I like it a yeah. lot. Simon, yeah. I can't thank you enough, man. Joining me. No problem. Uh, you, when I come to Northern Ireland, we are kicking back a brew. I'm just Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll take you up the North Coast where, you, where we talked earlier and uh, yeah, show you where you need to go and have your drama whiskey. And then certainly we'll go and uh, we'll show you where the best Guinness is. And uh, you know, I'd say like, yeah, once you get everybody together who's who's been on here from Ireland, yeah, <laughs> that'll be some weekend if everybody got together. <laughs> be some already, limpers, you already some told me I'm leaving as an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All, our livers will all be in bits if we have a full weekend together of all of us, man. That would be nuts. <laughs> It'll be so fun. It'll be yeah. worth it. Oh, the crack would be unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has oh, to happen. It absolutely has to happen. All right. Well, let's make it yeah. happen. I, I like the idea. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. No problem. Right on. <laughs> well, I'll see you soon. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you coming on, brother. Yeah, no, thanks very much for the offer. Yeah, it's great. Anytime. And with that, Go. ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Now, it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard. Thank you for joining me today here at The Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode, Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com.
Hey, rule number six, don't be a prick. All right, look, I get it. Not every situation is warm and fuzzy. Not everybody you work with or around is a warm and fuzzy. Sometimes people make you angry or upset or sad. But fact of the matter is, you don't have to be mean. You can be polite, you can be respectful, and you can be helpful. You might not agree with everything that's going on, but that's okay. It still costs nothing to be nice. It's something my dad likes to say. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Or like my wife says to all of her students, just be kind.